And if you have your Bibles, let me invite you to turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. After spending so many weeks in Hebrews chapter 11, we now move to the next chapter. Um, remember, if you've been with us, Hebrews 11 was filled with all these characters, all these episodes of their faith. And now, Hebrews chapter 12 begins with the word, therefore. And so you need to have Hebrews chapter 11 in mind as you read chapter 12, because he's now going to connect the contents and all those individuals in chapter 11 to application to these believing people, and therefore application to us. He will say, therefore, and he will say, let us. So with that in mind, give your attention to Hebrews chapter 12, just verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all the people of Hebrews 11, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray that God would bless our understanding of His Word. Lord, we ask You if on this rainy, sleepy kind of day that You would enliven us and enlighten us with a deeper faith a faith that will last, a faith that will persevere to the very end. Do this, Lord, we ask and we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So you're familiar that running is a common metaphor uh, throughout literature, throughout every culture, and even in the Bible, this is true. Now, some of you are not runners, and you have never been runners. And you will never be runners. Some of you were runners. Some of you look back on those days with great joy. Some of you, like me, look back on it and just kind of glad it's all done and behind you. Um, but there are some people who have never run in their lives. People with disabilities who would not know what it is to run an enduring race. But the author uses that illustration anyway, because it is so common to so many. And so this morning, um, no apologies for the emphasis on running, even if you're not a runner. This is the language, the metaphor, the illustration of Scripture given to us that in some way we can understand and connect to, even if we've never really run before ourselves. You've heard it said that life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And that is certainly true in the Christian life. What the author is certainly getting to in these first three verses 
is that there will be moments in the Christian life and in your faith that you want to give up. You just want to quit. And if you've been with us for any of these 29 weeks in the book of Hebrews, you remember that's the theme of the book. He is speaking to Christians who are thinking about giving up and abandoning their faith. And so along those lines, um, I was reminded of an image that is seared in my memory. I think it's from my 10th grade chemistry class where the teacher had on the wall a picture. Well, it looked like this if we're able to show it. So chemistry students um, in my class wanted to give up. And so he posted this. It was just on a piece of paper near where I sat. And once you see that image, you can't really forget it. There are things about that image that I like. So if you can't tell what that is, that is some kind of a bird. Someone can inform me later exactly what kind of bird it is. Some waterfowl, I think would be appropriate to call it. I don't know if it's a stork. I don't know if it's an egret. I don't know what it is. But he's the kind of bird that would swallow a bullfrog. And he's swallowing the bullfrog, and you see that the bullfrog is doing everything he can to make it impossible to be swallowed. And, you know, sometimes in life we feel like this. Um, but we would never end the sermon here. We would never end the sermon with this illustration. Because at the end of the day, who's saving who? Who is saving whom? Perhaps is the correct way to say that. Frog is saving himself, right? Well, we need something greater than ourselves to save ourselves. But there is something inspiring to the, to the call to don't give up too easily. And that is the call of Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, is to not grow weary, don't lose heart, don't quit. And it is true that life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. There's a lot of truth to that. It's not about going hard for a short, short burst. It's about going progressively, continually, one foot in front of the other for the long haul. And that's the imagery that the author in Hebrews 12 gives us. So there are other themes around us this morning about running. If you didn't notice the announcement, I believe it's this Saturday at... 8 a.m., we have the Pathway Half K, right? Did I get the announcement correct? To this Saturday at 8 a.m., the, the Pathway House Half K, a Half K. And that's a fundraiser, and I hope that you can participate in that if your schedule allows. Years ago, when, when I was in campus ministry at Erskine, we had a Barn K for Joy, where students would run from the campus to the barn, 3.657 miles. That's what a barn K is, 3.657. Yes, that's a made-up number. It's not precisely that. Um, and you know, a marathon is, is how many miles? 23 point what, Randy Randall? Where are you? 26.2. 26.2. That's, that's a long way. Several of you have done that. That's crazy. But it's not as crazy as what I'm about to tell you about. So in 2007, and you can go find this and see that everything I'm going to tell you is true. In 2007, three men ran the Sahara Desert. 
And there's a documentary narrated by Matt Damon from 2007 called Running the Sahara. And it is amazing. Charlie Engel, who was 44 years old at the time, Ray Zahab, who was 38 years old at the time, and Kevin Lynn, who was merely 30 years old at the time, ran the Sahara Desert. It had never been done before. What they did was they ran 50 miles a day. That's like running from here to Greenville. They ran 50 miles a day every day for 111 days consecutively without a day off. Think about that. 50 miles a day, 111 days, they ran over 4,500 miles. Not on paved roads, but in sand. Now, if you've ever run at the beach on the sand and on soft sand, not the, 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 the padded down sand from the water, you know that's, that's incredibly awful. So the Christian life, it's certainly not a sprint. What if it's really not even a marathon? What if it's an ultra marathon? And in some ways it is. It's overwhelming. And yet we're told to run the race with perseverance. Let us run. So three simple things about running the race of the Christian life this morning. It is the race that if... If you're a Christian, it's the race that we all run. Every one of us is called to run this race. So three things that the Scriptures would say to us about that. Number one, let us run for Jesus. We run for Jesus. If, if you're living the Christian life, your race, your run is to be run for Jesus. And two things about that that the passage tells us. Number one, there is good news that we don't run alone. And I don't, some of you are runners and you prefer to run alone. You prefer to run maybe with music in your ears and you don't want to be with people. But in the living of the Christian life, we know there are no lone rangers. There is no doing the Christian life alone. God gives us a church. He gives us one another. He gives us a body to encourage us to give us community, fellowship, opportunities to worship together. And we're told in, in verse 1 of Hebrews 12 that there is this great cloud of witnesses. Well, who are they and, and what are they doing? Well, as best as we can tell, it's clear he's referencing all those people in Hebrews chapter 11. Those people who are dead and gone. And he uses this language that others have said it's really the imagery of a coliseum and the cloud of spectators that would cheer on the participants. And that's the imagery he seems to give us, that, that all those saints of old who ran their race and finished in perseverance are now cheering us on as we are running our race, hopefully with perseverance. Now, if you've ever been around a race or run a race, you know that crowds tend to form at the finish line. And they cheer as people get close to it. 
And, and that's the kind of imagery that the author seems to be picking up with right there, is that cheering on, that encouraging of one another. Uh, perhaps you've been in a race where people who were really fast and finished the race first stayed and remained to cheer on those who were still enduring, and now they were approaching the finish line. That seems to be the imagery that he's using. We don't run alone. There are those cheering us on. There are those who are applauding us. A, a cloud of witnesses who endured by faith, and they're cheering for us to do the same. We don't run alone if we run for Jesus. Secondly, we know not from this passage, but from other passages, there's even more good news. And that is that the Holy Spirit is with us in our running of the Christian life. And that He seeks to help us and to comfort us. This was Jesus' prayer and what He told His disciples about the church in John chapter 14, verse 16. He says, I will ask the Father and He will give you the helper, comforter, counselor to be with you forever. So we don't run our race alone. And thankfully, it's not just with believers of old cheering us on. God the Holy Spirit Himself is with us to tend to us, comfort us, to enable us to endure. And beyond that, even more than that, remember that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, the close of the Great Commission, He says, Surely I am with you always to the very end. And so we don't run alone in the Christian life. And, and that's good news. If you have felt alone, if you feel alone, you need to be reminded this morning, that's not true. If you're running your race, living your life for Jesus. And the second thing we're told, and that we know from Scripture, is that we don't run in vain. Nothing that we do in the living of the Christian life is in vain. It's not empty. It's not meaningless. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26. We heard this earlier in the service. It says, Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. We don't run without direction. Life is not this run into nowhere. It's a meaningful, purposed living of life. And I, I would bet some of you don't always feel like that every day. There are days that you feel aimless. You feel like it's hard to put one foot in front of the other. You're just not sure where this is all going. Maybe some of you even mutter that out loud. I don't know where this is all going. I don't know where this is all going. But we don't run in vain. If your life is feeling aimless, maybe it's because... You're living for yourself, or you're living for your spouse, or you're living for your kids, or for your job, or for money. If you're living for those things, if you're running for those things alone, I suppose we could feel aimless. But you see, what the Scriptures tell us is in the Christian life, everything is for the King and for the kingdom. And therefore, it's not aimless. And it is right to live rightly for your spouse and your kids and in your vocation. But we live for 
the king and the kingdom. We can't disconnect those dots in the way we perceive our life and everything in it. Otherwise, we would feel aimless and pointless. You know the story of Eric Liddell, the movie The Chariots of Fire, the 1924, I think it was, uh, runner in the Olympics who had to change his competition from the 100 meters to the 400 meters because he would not run on the Sabbath. And though he had to run an event he had not trained for and prepared for, he won it anyway. And the quote, of course, that I want to emphasize is that he says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Which is to say, I interpret what I do as being for God, for the king and the kingdom. And, and he's made me a good runner. And when I run, I feel like God is well pleased that I'm running. And here's my question to you. Um, I, I have my, my, my mind and my heart on mothers. We have Mother's Day coming up pretty soon. Dads, remember that. But you know, I, I remember... <clears throat> I, I, I don't know how many it was, but after about 14 years of my wife making peanut butter and honey sandwiches every day, every day, feels pretty mundane. And there are probably moms who are tired of doing laundry all day, every day. It feels mundane and pointless. Whether it's peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or laundry changing diapers, making supper, whatever it is. The mundane. It's not aimless. It's not pointless. That is a part of your life and living for the glory of God in the season of life that you're in that does not last forever, right? There's an ending point to that furious season, to all those diapers, to all those sandwiches. But in the mundane, in the midst of it, we can grow weary. We can feel aimless. We can feel like none of it matters. But you know what? It really does matter. It matters in a big way. So a couple years ago, my father passed away. And um, I remember writing a letter to my dad that I never gave him when he was dying. I don't mean to get emotional, but here it is. I never totally made this. So I wrote a letter to my dad. And it was, about, it was a thank you letter about the mundane things that he did. And I remember one of the first things that I, that I wrote was, thanks for taking me to all those practices and picking me up. So, so my dad retired from the Air Force and he took over his father's cattle ranch as a retiree. And uh, I never, it never dawned on me until I had kids my own and, and my day would be interrupted by having to go pick them up from school, having to pick them up from practice, take them to games. I started to think about what my dad did. And so he would be out in a field cutting hay, doing whatever, building fences, repairing fences. Well, it's almost 2 o'clock. I've got to stop what I'm doing, go back to the house, drive 45 minutes, go get the kids, bring them home, then go back out and do it again. And it wasn't until I was doing it, the mundane things, that you realized somebody did that for me. They loved me. They served me. Their whole day in life, every day, was reoriented. And they did it in love, 
right? Some of you have had this experience where you saw your parents and what they did for you through, a, through new eyes because now you were the doer of those things. Do you suppose that felt mundane to him? Maybe even sometimes fatiguing and frustrating. Ah, tired of going to pick up the kids. But as a 50-year-old, that was the first thing that came to my mind was thank you for the mundane, for doing the things that a, that a dad would do, that a, that a mom would do. So moms, change those diapers. Make those peanut butter and honey sandwiches. Do whatever you do, packing the lunches and doing the laundry. You're ministering. You're doing what God has called you to do in, in the season of life that you're in. Don't grow weary or think that it's aimless or pointless. You might get a letter before you die that says, thank you for the mundane. Be the first thing that they think of when they reflect on how you loved them and loved them well. When I run, I feel God's pleasure. When I make PBJs, I feel God's pleasure. When I change diapers, I feel God's pleasure. When I go pick up kids or attend sporting events, I feel God's pleasure. It's right and good to be able to say those things. So think about it that way. If you run, you run for Jesus. Therefore, whatever you do with your time matters to God. Secondly, <clears throat> let us run like Jesus. And those who run like Jesus, several things. They shed off excess weight. They strip off excess Garments. Listen again. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles. So different translations, depending on which one you have before you, it may say, let us lay aside every weight. And it's the same meaning. It's the same imagery. It just sounds a little bit different. But really, it's the imagery of a runner. If a runner is going to run effectively and run well, you know they want to shed excess weight. You don't want to run with a backpack. You don't want to run with anything heavy that you're carrying. If you're going to run well, you need to lay it aside. And in fact, the imagery here is of entangling clothes, baggy clothes that ensnare you. And it refers to sin as being entangling. So it's really this imagery of, of shedding off. To be a good runner, you need to shed off. And so the question, of course, is what is the, what is the unnecessary weight that you're carrying that's making it hard for you to run and to run well? What are the baggy garments that you should shed that are entangling you and tripping you from being a good runner. You know, we have this entire sports clothing industry in our culture that Under Armour has made so famous. And it's all about what? Tight-fitting athletic clothing. Well, why? Because we've learned that you perform better when you don't have baggy, heavy garments. And so it's the same point of what the author of Hebrews is saying. Consider your life and what's making it hard for you to run and to run well and shed it. Is it sin? Is it a sin habit? Is it a sin pattern in your life? If you're going to run and run well, he says, lay it aside. Take it off that you might be able to run far and fast 
like Jesus. Now, Jesus himself had a similar kind of shedding off and putting off. It's similar, but it's different. And I want you to hear this. Jesus had a similar but different shedding and stripping to the run to run the race that was marked out for him. Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 to 8. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And here we have the doctrine called the humiliation of Christ, that he shed his heavenly glory coming down from heaven to earth to put on flesh to run his race marked out for him. He was shed of his garments, if you remember, when he was mocked and beaten at the cross, and he was lifted up high on a cross without those outer garments. Those garments were shed from him that he might run the race marked out for him. And then he shed his blood from his body on the cross to the point of death that he might run his race that was marked out for him. So we are to shed things as well. He shed glory. He he shed the comforts of heavenly glory. But he came low and he put on flesh to run a race that he would run perfectly to the finish line for us. We too are to lay aside things. We're to shed things. And it's our sin and everything that entangles us and keeps us from running well. Thirdly, we run the race that is marked out for us. Now, I've never really emphasized this. It's never, it's never been so mm, clear to me as it was this week. How interesting it is that we're running a race that is marked out for us. Which is to say, we're not making it up as we go along. We don't know the path, but it's marked out for us. Many years ago, uh, when I first came to Erskine College for campus ministry, one of my best friends was the head athletic trainer. And he invited me to go with him to mark out the 5K uh, running path that they use, at, for those of you who know, at Bobby Clark's farm. So we were out there cutting down little trees cutting a pathway, making a pathway. That's what this is talking about, a path that is marked out for you. And so the race that you and I run, it's a very similar race, but the path may be marked out a little bit differently, right? The obstacles for you, the obstacles for me, may be a little different. They're going to be similar, but they're different. Listen to what Rick Phillips says in his commentary on this. God has marked out a race for us. He has laid out a course for each of our lives. There are places for us to go, things for us to do, challenges and obstacles we are to endure. We do not know where our course will wind, how long it will last, or what obstacles we will be challenged to overcome. 
Our calling is simply to run the race set before us with endurance, persevering by faith wherever God leads us to the very end of the race we are called to run. Some of you are running that race with a diagnosis that makes it a whole lot harder to run the race. Maybe a physical illness, maybe a mental illness. Some of you are running a race with financial hardships that are more than other people around you are having to endure. Family circumstances that are making your race hard and difficult. But we're all called to run the same kind of race. It's by faith, with perseverance, being empowered by God to finish and to finish well. And somehow, that takes us to D, we're to run that race with joy. Now, those of you who don't like to run, it's hard to run with joy. You run because you have to. Or you run so you can eat more. Right? This says to run with joy. And I couldn't help but think about that hymn. We sang it last week. The William Williams hymn, Jesus, I, My Cross Have Taken. Where he says this. Joy to find in every station something still to do or bear. And, and that line has stood out to me for years. That what we say when we, sing, when we say that, when we sing that, there is joy for us to find in whatever season of life we're in. There's either something for us to do or something for us to bear. But it's for God's glory and it's a part of our race of endurance. I think about that passage. I've shared that stanza with my mom who's a widow. She was amazingly productive life, did so much, and now she's an 80-year-old widow, and she feels like, I don't do anything. And I said to her, Mama, there's still something for you to do or to bear, but you do it for the glory of God. We all do. So if you feel aimless and pointless, if you're in a season of life that's hard, there's still something for you to do. Or there's something for you to bear, something for you to endure. And it's always for the glory of God. And then lastly on that point, we run the race with enduring hardship. Which is to say, perseverance. Whatever it is that's hard about life, we run anyway. We push through. Whatever the calamity, whatever the suffering, whatever the hardship. We're called to run the race to the very end, to finish and finish well, not by our strength, but by God's strength in us. Then thirdly and lastly, let us run to Jesus. We run for Jesus. We run like Jesus. We run to Jesus. And those who run like Jesus fix their eyes on Jesus, it says in verse 2. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Remember years ago, I was trying to line a kickball field out at the barn for an event. And I uh, made the mistake of thinking I could look down. I think I've told you this story. I had a line striper and thought, you know, if I just try really hard, I'm going to keep this thing straight. And then I got 
however many hundred feet down, and I turned around and looked at what I had done, and it was, it was pretty bad. It was pretty embarrassing. But I got the next one right. And the way that I got it right was I didn't look down. I found the biggest, tallest tree, and I just aimed for it. And kept my eyes fixed. Look at the tree. Look at the tree. Don't look down. And I think that's very much the kind of imagery that the author is using. Don't look down at your present circumstances, the hardship, the suffering. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Know who it is you are running to, who it is you are running for, and by whose strength you are able to run. Fix your eyes on Him. Put your eyes on the prize, and you will finish well. Now, in the way of honest confession, I've got to tell you, I learned about myself um, actually when I was in seminary years ago, and I wonder if this could be true of any of you. I learned that when I have something challenging on me, particularly when I was in school, big paper, big exam, some of you just finished finals or you're in the midst of it, what I did instinctively, internally, was I would overcome the misery of that hardship to live to and through, and on the calendar, right behind it, I would put something big and fun, right? To overcome the misery of the papers, the exams, all the work to be done. And you know what? That was a very effective strategy that worked very well for this guy. Put something big and fun on the calendar, then live hard, live through the misery, and then go have a party with friends or a cookout or whatever it would be. That works pretty well with school and with some life. But that's not what this is saying. This is not saying create your own fun memory and something that will help you push through. This is saying fix your eyes on Jesus, that He ran a race for you and finished it perfectly, and know that He is in you and through you, you can have faith to persevere. So it's a less than Christian motivation that we can do, you and I, just trying to put the next fun thing on the calendar. That's not the driving motivation for the Christian life. It's not the vacation coming in a few weeks or months. It's I live for Jesus. I run for Jesus. I endure for the living Lord who has secured the finish line for me. And by Him and through Him, I can get there. That's what it is to think like a Christian and to run like a Christian. And the reason he says we have to think like that is so that we do not grow weary and lose heart. And that's his number one concern. That is the theme of the letter, that you not grow weary and lose heart, that you not quit. Is General George Patton who said this, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Have you heard that? Fatigue makes cowards of us all. Vince Lombardi also said it. He used that in coaching his football team. I heard that and I was like, boy, isn't that the truth? Even in the Christian life, fatigue, being weary, run down, it can make quitters of us all. And the author of Hebrews says, don't quit. Endure. Persevere. Think well about how you are running and why you are running, that you will not grow weary in running and running well. Circling back to running the Sahara, the opening story about the three ultra-marathon runners running 4,500 miles 
for 111 consecutive days, I read an interview of the 44-year-old after the race um, about his, experiencing, his experience running, running the Sahara. And he says this. Pay attention to this. <clears throat> it's, it's kind of funny to me. He says, on day eight, day eight of 111 days, on day eight, I was feeling in over my head. From then on, I resolved to think quite simply about what was before me every day. And he said that was this. I had only three things to do each day after waking up. One, run a marathon. Two, eat lunch and briefly nap. Three, run a marathon. Now that's just funny to me. I've never run a marathon. But to think that he would be encouraged by reducing the day to three simple things. Run a marathon, eat lunch, take a nap, run another marathon. So every day for him would begin at 4 a.m. He would be running by 5 a.m. He would be finished by late lunchtime, take a little nap, and then he'd wake up and he'd run till 10 o'clock at night. That's overwhelming. 111 consecutive days of doing that. So on day eight, he had 103 more days of living that life, doing those three things. That is overwhelming. Is that the Christian life? Is that what you and I have to look forward to? Is it going to be that miserable? Well, let's be left with the imagery of the prophet Isaiah. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Is that the Christian life? I think it is. Somehow God renews and refreshes us. Whatever season of life we're in, if we're an exhausted mom... There's something for us to do and bear through that season of life. If we're in the last years of our life, there's something for us to do and to bear. And if we're in the middle of our life, there's something for us to do or to bear. But we need not grow weary. We need not grow faint. Because God gives the strength to endure that we can run our race by faith. Let's pray that that would be true. Lord, it is a rainy, sleepy day, but I pray, Lord, you have spoken to us and reminded us of what it is to live the Christian life with meaning and with purpose, fixing our eyes on Jesus, to not grow weary in our running, but to see that everything that we do is for the King and for the kingdom. So, Lord, would you give us that strength, that increase of faith, that clarity of thought, that focus that as we live through the mundane events that make up our week, that we would see that you are at work in us and through us. So Lord, help us to rise up to be those kind of people. We ask it and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.